This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the Senior Editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Charter schools have received unprecedented media attention over the past 12 months or so. The appointment of Betsy DeVos, an avowed choice advocate, has mobilized both her supporters and opponents as Secretary of Education. On the one side, the U.S. Department of Education is proposing expanded funding for charter schools. On the other side, teacher unions are arguing that charters take money away from public schools, they don't serve their share of students with special needs, and just recently, the Heckinger Institute and NBC News have accused charters of fostering school segregation. For the most part, Congress has been sitting on its hands on the charter school question, as it has on so many other items. But just recently, the Committee on Education and the Workforce of the House of Representatives has held a hearing on the power of charter schools, expanding opportunity for America's students. Testifying at the hearing was Martin West, Editor-in-Chief of Education Next and an Associate Professor in the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Marty has agreed to join me today on the Education Exchange uh, and share some of the testimony uh, he discussed with the House of Representatives. Thank you, Marty, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Marty, how are you? I'm doing well. It's great to be with you, Paul. Well, uh, do you agree that charter schools are expanding opportunities for America's students? Well, that was the title of the hearing, and I would say that by and large, I do agree. Uh, one of the points I made was that the most common adjective I hear used to describe the research on charter schools, their track record in expanding opportunity for American students is, is mixed. And I think uh, that is an accurate description insofar as it goes, but it misses uh, an important point, which is that the results are mixed in a way that suggests that charter schools are expanding opportunity for those students who are most in need of it, for whom opportunities have for too long been denied in American public education. That's low-income students, students of color, and students living in urban school districts. And for those students, the track record of the charter sector is overwhelmingly positive. And I think that speaks to the value of the federal government's support for efforts to expand charter schools, which, of course, was the focus of the hearing last week. So recently, the Heckinger Institute and uh, NBC News have uh, said that charters are increasing segregation. Uh, have you taken a look at that report? What's your assessment? Well, I saw the NBC news coverage of the report, like so many others. And the situation that they uncovered, I believe, in Lake Oconee, Georgia, you know, did, uh, I think, raise some important questions. It seems to be a charter school that was opened to support initially only students in a narrow corner of a large countywide school district most of whom were in a very high-end uh, gated community. Uh, and uh, as a result, the charter school in question looks very different from the traditional public schools elsewhere in the district. My understanding is that in the past uh, few years, 
that the enrollment policies for that school have changed so that now students anywhere in the district are able to apply for the lottery to get in, uh, but that transportation is, is still not provided, so that can be a challenge for some students. So I think the particular case that they uncovered uh, is troubling and raises some questions about whether that school uh, really is consistent with the charter school model of trying to be open to all. But I think uh, what I didn't come away uh, convinced of was how representative that situation is of the charter sector writ large. Well, I, I saw in the in their report, in the Heckinger report, there was only one school out of 10 that uh, had a uh, very large white population relative to the composition in the area. So they, they have focused in here on 10% of the charter school community. So, I mean, that yes, sort of suggests that 90 out of 100 are doing the opposite, or at least not guilty of this particular charge. Yeah, that's exactly right. They found 700 charter schools that enrollment pattern met this description of uh, having you know many more white students than the district as a whole. Uh, they don't do any sort of comparative analysis to ask the question, for example, how many district schools would meet that description of being disproportionately white relative to the district as a whole. It might even be higher than 10%. But I do think it's important to note that uh, we, we now have uh, a number of analyses, some of them conducted by uh, Russ Whitehurst and colleagues at the Brookings Institution, that do show that charter schools are a bit more likely than traditional public schools to enroll a larger share of uh, black students in particular than the neighborhood immediately surrounding the school, which is the best uh, point of comparison. And so I, I do think uh, something is going on in the charter sector where uh, we have more schools that are uh, attended disproportionately by students of a particular race. Um, if you look at the charter school as a whole, most of that is simply a reflection of where they're locating in the neighborhoods that are most in need of uh, expanded opportunity. But uh, it does seem to be the case, even if you look relative to neighborhoods, that you do see uh, charter schools um, serving uh, a high minority population. Well, nationwide, I think the data show that uh the charter sector is has a higher percentage of African-American students than does the uh, traditional district sector. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, and then the question is, uh, they also have a larger share of predominantly minority schools. Um, I think the question is, what explains that? More than anything else, what explains that is that charter schools are opening up primarily in places uh, where you have uh, a lot of uh, low-income families, uh, families with students of color, and that's leading them to enroll more students who meet that description. But I think even within those situations, uh, you do see, do see charter schools being a bit more likely to uh, meet that description. And I don't think we understand exactly why that's the case. Of course, to the extent that they are enrolling in those schools, it, it is... A, choice. And I think I hesitate to use the uh, term 
segregation, for example, to describe the uh, enrollment patterns that we see in charter schools, because I think that does a, um, I don't know, disservice to those who experienced other forms of segregation enforced by law. So we know that the biggest factor in school segregation in the United States is the residential segregation that occurs within the uh, district uh, educational system where uh, people move into the school district uh, that is predominantly white if they uh, have the financial resources to do so. And uh, yeah, it does seem to me like this uh, picking on the charter sector when there's so much uh, else going on in the United States that's uh, driving school segregation is a little bit, a little bit unfair. That's that's my view of it. Marty, you mentioned in your testimony that the charter school growth is is slowing down. Is is that how you you see it? Is are are we not opening up uh, charter schools uh, with the same uh, rapidity as we were just a few years ago? Yeah, this is something we've covered some in Education Next. A couple of recent articles by Robin Lake and Darrell Bradford have dug into this uh, and show very clearly that after a decade of annual growth at about a 6 to 9% rate, which of course is leading to sort of uh, near exponential growth if you have a constant annual rate of growth over time for an extended period, uh, in the past three years, that growth rate has slowed to between 2 and 3% annually. And so this is a big slowdown. I don't think we know for sure what explains it, but one of the points I made is that given the track record of the charter sector to date, uh, I think we should be concerned about this. And it speaks to the continued need for federal support for charter school creation. And in particular, I would argue for continued or even increased investment in mechanisms that help charter schools access good facilities. Well, so uh, you you have all these people on waiting lists to get into charter schools. So it's a little uh, unclear to me exactly what's preventing new charter schools from opening up. Uh, but you mentioned something just now, which may be a hint. It may be that they just can't get the space, the land, the facilities, uh, necessary to to uh, to open up a new school, uh, is there uh, is it just these practical considerations that are slowing the growth? I think a number of the specific charter management organizations that were expanding very rapidly have slowed down. Uh, that was very clearly the case in the Bay Area, where Robin Lake did some reporting again for Education Next. Uh, so some of the charter management organizations were slowing down their plans to expand, to focus on making sure that they were maintaining high quality. Uh, one of the things that was making it difficult for them to expand was certainly uh, trouble accessing facilities. That's a particularly acute challenge in the Bay Area where this research was conducted. But I suspect it's also one of the barriers more generally. But uh, keep in mind that charter schools do need authorization to expand. Uh, and it may be the case that charter schools are finding it more difficult to gain the necessary authorization, either from school districts or from alternative authorizers. Um, and we know that there's been rising political opposition, as you mentioned in the introduction, 
And uh, so those factors could be important as well. Well, the other side of this coin is that the charters are attracting a very large percentage of students in certain parts of the country, whether it's the District of Columbia or Los Angeles or Detroit, New Orleans, and so forth. Uh, what's, what's your assessment of what's happening where charters are really becoming a major alternative to the district school? They're not just a boutique anymore, but they're now an alternative. Is this threatening the state of uh, public education? <laughs> well, this is one of the uh, uh, issues that came up in the hearing was the impact of charter schools on students who remain enrolled in the district. And I was glad to be able to point to several recent reviews of that uh, of research on that question that both, uh, two recent reviews rather, both of which found that uh, the, well, the evidence overwhelmingly suggests that students who remain in district schools, if anything, benefit. They're not harmed by the presence of competition from charter schools. Now, that's not to say that the presence of charter schools, especially at the scale that you were just suggesting, doesn't make things very difficult for the school district as an organization. They may need not to replace staff who are retiring. They may need to close underused schools. Those can be politically very difficult decisions to make. But I think we need to distinguish between the impact on the district as a system and the impact on the students served by the district. Well, that's all very nice to say that, Marty. But uh, and I, in some ways, I can agree with you. But on the other hand, you've got all these legacy costs. You've got all these pension plans that are promised to retired school teachers and and uh, health care and benefits of one kind or another. And so all these legacy costs, as we might call them, uh, are consuming a higher and higher percentage of the district budget. And so if enrollment's declining and these legacy costs are persisting, what's going to happen to these district school systems? Well, I think there are going to be some real financial challenges. Uh, it may be that states will need to come in and help school districts go through some sort of a bankruptcy process in some cases. But uh, it's not clear to me if one of the problems has been that the uh, benefits available to district employees are not being offered in a sustainable way simply uh, saying that we need more people uh, being included into an ultimately unsustainable system of compensation uh, doesn't strike me as a viable solution either. Well, that, that seems fair enough. So what were some of the concerns of the uh, committee members that they were asking the questions of those who were testifying? What, what seems to be on the mind of the members of Congress? Well, I would say that... Um, that uh, it was not a hearing in which anyone was willing to offer a full-throated critique of the charter sector writ large. Uh, the closest you got to that was from the ranking member of the committee, uh, Bobby Scott, um, who is, I would say, a charter skeptic who uh, opened his remarks by uh, citing a very outdated study from uh, Credo at Stanford, its original 2009 study that suggested that charter schools on average were lagging behind 
traditional public schools uh, that are nearby, and also raising some concerns about uh, the issue of segregation we talked about earlier. Um, but with that one exception, uh, virtually all of the members who were asking questions, uh, and I would say that more of the skeptical questions came from the Democratic side, uh, started their remarks by uh, noting the very good work done by charter schools in certain settings in some states uh, like Massachusetts, uh, where charter schools have a very good reputation. And so uh, the tone was not one that was excessively skeptical. Even the witness who was brought in by the Democrats in what was a partisan hearing in which each side was able to choose witnesses that they were comfortable with was a parent from Detroit whose uh, children had attended district, private, and charter schools. Uh, and he was calling not for uh, all charter schools to be shuttered, but rather for there to be stronger oversight and accountability. Uh, you know, he specifically said, I'm not here to um, say that charters should be closed altogether. So um, uh, that gives you a sense of, of the way in which the conversation unfolded. So maybe there is more bipartisan uh, support for charter schools even today than sometimes uh, we think, judging uh, from the from the comments in the news media. So I've been speaking with Marty West, Editor-in-Chief of Education Next and Associate Professor at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Thank you, Marty, for joining me today on the Education Exchange. It's been a pleasure, Paul. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me every Monday at noon when our weekly podcast is released on the Education Next website.